the postman too I notice has gone at least the postman in the sense that I knew all. the postman on his bicycle went around every morning and delivered the mail in the village um, they're, they're phasing out the bus too the bus used to run um, five six days a week from Sligo to Athlone and now it only runs five days a week Sports like these, with sweet succession, taught e'en toil to please. These round thy bowers thy cheerful influence shed. These were thy charms, but all thy charms are fled. Throughout the history of mankind, there have been many deserted villages as a result of land enclosures, because of plague, war, or simply because people wanted to move to another place. However, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the drift off the land, out of the small village, away from the remote place, has been greater than ever before. In Ireland, the drift off the land has been seen, especially in the West. Well, this house here in front of us on our right-hand side of the village is the Angler's Rest. It's probably the oldest house in the village and it certainly is the oldest um, business house in the village. It was a, um, a hotel um, some 40 years ago, even though it never enjoyed the facilities of running water or an indoor toilet. Now it's closed down. Uh, it's uh, probably going to be open sometime in the future, but at the moment it's barred and shuttered. Um, next to it here on the right um, is a site, a derelict site. As you see, it has been cleared. It's owned by an American. The old village was self-sufficient. It contained the midwife and the coffin maker, the butcher, the baker, the cobbler, the tailor and all the other tradesmen and artisans who made up the community. This tightly knit, self-contained little world changed forever on the advent of the Industrial Revolution. The machine supplanted the man, a new world opened, new roads and new forms of transport took the villagers into a new, though possibly not a brave new world. The old village began to stagnate. The next house here on the right is the post office. It's one of the three houses in the village that has young children. Um, farther up here on the right, this house has just one occupant. Now, that's the church up there in front of you. As you see, it, it sort of uh, stands on a hill over the village. Um, one time there was a beautiful uh, row of uh, beech trees along the street here outside the church. Now, they were cut down. And um, I don't think the village has ever looked quite the same since it's very bare. When, when the beech trees were there, they gave the place great character. Um, at the bottom of the village now, on the other side over there, um, there are just two... Um, the little village of Balnafad, County Sligo, is situated on the main Sligo-Dublin road. It sits under the shoulder of the Corlew Mountains and on the shore of Loch Arrow. The town of Boyle is five miles away over the mountains and Sligo is 20 miles to the north. The village was built, as its name would suggest, Bail on Ahafada, 
close to a ford and grew up under the shadow of the castle of the Corlews built in the 17th century to guard the passes over the mountain. It lies at a crossroads in a valley between the Corlew and Brickleave Mountains. Red Hugh O'Donnell's army camped near here on the night before the Battle of the Corlews. Down the road to Sligo is Hollybrook House, the setting of Carlton's story, Willie Riley and his Colleen Bourne. For centuries, Hollybrook was the home of the Folliot family, the local landlords of the area. Farther up the village here on the right, uh, we said, see the Mayfly Inn. The Mayfly Inn is the, uh, the one and only pub in the place. It has been closed and open many times in the last few years. Now it's open and it seems to be doing a good business. You can see the magnificent view of the lake down there in front of it to the left. It's really a beautiful lake. You can't see it all from here. Um, some of the islands are hidden from you here, but I think it's still a very nice lake. Um, up here now at the top of the village, on the left-hand side, is the school, that building there. That's the school. Um, of course, it's not open anymore. The children go to... Uh, the, the other half of the parish to school. The census figures for townland show a more or less steady decrease in population from 1841 to 1961. However, in the past 15 years, this decline has been arrested. Again, the baptism figures show a drop of almost 50% in the 50s, but a big upswing is in evidence in the 70s. However, the Department of Education's policy of closing and amalgamating small schools is in evidence in the village. The village school has been closed, as we have heard, but not without a protest. Yes, we had a very active guild of the ICN Balnafad, and I was secretary at the time. So we had a meeting, and um, the guild asked me to write to the county councillors on both sides, you know, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And the meeting was on a Thursday night, I remember, and we had all the county councillors there. So the first on the agenda was the school. So we did all we could to keep that school open. But I think uh, the people themselves, if they showed their hands better and talked out, that we would have the school still. At that time, uh, I think it was 29 pupils was in the school. But now, there's a busload of children going from Balnafad to Corrigan Row School. And I'd say it's Balnafad that's really keeping Cardigan Row School open. Cardigan Row School was supposed to be closing, but uh, two carlists went up to Dublin to the minister about that school being closed. And it was left, left open. There were, their voice was heard in Dublin. Another victim of centralisation is the Garda Barracks, which again was closed, but again not without a protest. I got signatures from all the people, the householders, from every householder, and I wrote a letter to the minister. It was never acknowledged. I think the closing of the barrack was a very sad thing in Balnafed. Traditionally, the parish hall has been a focal point. Voluntary organisations meet there, raffles, bingo and dances are held there. This building that we're in now is the parish hall. It was originally a boys' school at the beginning of the century, up until 1930, when the boys' and girls' school amalgamated in another building, and this building became the parish hall. Um, I remember it in the um, late 40s and early 50s, and it was then um, quite a popular dance hall. People came from quite a distance around to attend dances here. That was um, in the days of Cayley bands and... Um, or Cayley bands and... Um, 
dance bands, which with the advent of show bands and bigger dance halls, this place declined a lot in popularity and there were no dances held here for long periods, except maybe at Christmas. There would just be a social or a Cayley held and the odd fish-up company would um, arrive during the year, uh, maybe stay for a week. It was used for meetings and things like that. And then there was a period when it was turned into a sort of a community centre. Um, In a more realistic sense, there was a table, tennis table here, and there were games of various sorts played. That didn't last very long either. People didn't seem to want to contribute towards it, and it was maybe a little bit expensive. Um, Overheads had to be covered and that kind of thing, and that fell through. Uh, Nowadays, the hall isn't used at all. There's, I don't think there's any organisation, there's no organisation in the parish anyway at the moment. There's no Machina Firma, Machina Thuhim, ICA. They have all fallen through. They were all here one time and they all used the hall, but they're all fallen through now. And there's no organisation that uses the hall. And it's not used at all except maybe at Christmas there will be um, a social or two held. And that's the sole purpose of the building. So the school is closed. The barracks is closed. The hall gathers dust. Old people are left with their memories. Even some of the older people in the locality today would tell you that there did as many people in their young days come from Limna as what the whole population attending Mass of a Sunday in Belnafad would amount to altogether. Uh, there's another townland just adjoining. There is no house in it either. And those two townlands, of course, had, in those early days, enormous population. Their people, especially the young people, of course, all went to America, one remaining at home with the old pair. Uh, the old pair, of course, uh, they lived. They were healthy, strong, rough people. They lived to be in old age, and when they died, they, either son or daughter, generally a son, uh, that was a tome, he was gone beyond marriage age, and he just continued for to live on, as he had done while the old pair were living. Another thing, of course, uh, the quality of the land was really poor, bad, and the little places, they were small. And I don't believe that the big majority could or would afford a living to any person at the present time. Of course, they have already said, the people in America, they never came back naturally. But the result, the old homestead fell, and that was the end of the population. The sheep are on and the shield And the land's gone to rushes The handyman's gone and the winders have cleared Away across the ocean, good journeyman and fiddlers that flaked out the old mountain reel. 
Depopulation has taken place principally in three districts, Limna, Corrig and Le Caro. Limna, a district on the flanks of the Corleu Mountains, has been hardest hit. There were once 22 households here. Now the grass grows on the ruins and pine and spruce grow in the fields. John McDonough is a local farmer. Well, there again, there are the outer edges of it and they are hitting up nearer to the top of the mountain. And the land was bad, the holdings were small, it was in existence. And the people are gone out of that, you couldn't blame them. More will go too. There is no hope for them to stay there. There never was, really. And it was only... Um, it was a bad job trying to keep them there anyway. Out of the, the area, out of the locality, at least half of them have left in the last, say, the last couple of decades. Half of them are gone out of it anyway. They couldn't possibly stay on. As I said before, more will go too. There isn't a hope for even all that's in it to uh, work out a living from what they have. So what is happening? Well, we have available to us sociological studies of villages carried out not only here, but in England, Holland and elsewhere. One study showed that in England, the only rural counties which showed an increase in population in the years after the Industrial Revolution were those in proximity to industrial or mining centres or to London. Another English sociologist has taken this a step further and has shown that the rural exodus has been greatest from remote districts and from parishes with a population of less than 500. And the Limerick Rural Survey reinforces the findings, confirming the drift from the small village and the open countryside. One of the problems the small village has is rather obvious. I left the village because um, after finishing school there was nothing for me to do there and I had to go to the city and get a job. I suppose I could have got a job um, around at home, but, um, you know, I, I, I'd cycled five long years to school and I felt that uh, what I would get at home wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't satisfy me, so I went to the city and got a job. It's too boring. It's too dull a place to live. If it were a livelier place and um, if there was easy access to entertainment, even such as films or drama or anything in that line, then I would like to live there. But there's nothing in that place. There isn't anything except television. It's a beautiful place if you love scenery. Uh, but, um, you know, after a holiday, you feel you've uh, enough of it and uh, there isn't enough to sustain one's interest the year round there. As in most counties, the prospects of local employment has improved in Sligo since the early 60s. There are today... 2,761 implied in industries in the county. These are implied in a number of plants, big and small, scattered throughout the county. However, the big factories have catchment areas extending into counties Mayo, Donegal and Leitrim, as well as Sligo, so that a big factory in Sligo need not necessarily mean employment for a young person in Balnafad. The percentage of jobs for girls in industry is very low. But there are a number of people from Balnafad employed in factories in Colooney and other surrounding towns. However, they are a minority, and for the majority, the future stretches out through the railway station in Boyle. In areas where emigration or migration has been traditional, patterns have developed. People from a particular district tend to go to London, New York, San Francisco and so on. For generations, people from Balnafad and district have tended to go to Dublin. 
Elizabeth Brune is a secretary in Dublin. There are five of us from Ballinafad in a flat and uh, we enjoy each other's company. So um, I think if the five of us weren't together, well, maybe some of us wouldn't be in Dublin at all because we were, we were all brought up together, more or less. We went to school together at home. So um, it was natural, I suppose, that we come together in Dublin. Um, well, we don't have much of a social life here. Well, it's for our own choice, but um, any time we go out, we don't seem to have the same fun as we do at home. So um, we wait for the enjoyment when we go home at weekends. Very rarely stay in Dublin for a weekend. Hugh Brodie, in his book Inish Kalan, a popular presentation of sociological research, says that the shop, a popular meeting place in the 50s and early 60s, was a centre for counterculture people, that the young who met there were rejecting traditional culture. There was such a meeting place in Balnafad, as there was in most villages in the country. But was it a meeting place for counterculture people? Well, I wouldn't call them counterculture people at any rate. Um, there were just people who came out in the evening for entertainment. Uh, there wasn't television at home, so they came to the village looking for a bit of excitement, maybe. They talked. Uh, they played cards in the winter. They played uh, rings and darts and um, spent a little bit of money and... Uh, at the end of the evening, they go to the pub for a pint, and it was the social centre of the place. There was no dances, so there was nothing happening in the local hall, and it was simply and solely the social centre of the place, and it isn't anymore, I don't think, not to the same extent anyway. They have other things to do. And then there's the pub, of course. There's the singing pub now. Um, in the past, in the time when, when it was a meeting place, the pub wasn't there you just went and bought a pint and that was it. There was no entertainment in the pub. Now there's entertainment in the pub. I think to some extent the pub has taken over. It certainly has taken over from the shop. People go there and they drink and they play billiards and they dance if there's music provided. And it, it's certainly more a social centre. People talk in pubs now. There are women and children and everybody goes to the pub. And it has taken over from the old uh, meeting place of the local shop. In the 50s and early 60s, the clergy deplored the low marriage rate and at the same time frowned on company keeping. This contradictory stance compelled love to hide its face. Well, these are the outhouses that belong to a farm that was here one time. Um, the castle is nearby here, but the farmhouse is gone. Um, in my day, these uh, sheds were uh, used as storehouses for hay um, and um, consequently there were great places for courting because the farmhouse was gone and there was no interruption <laughs> like there would be at the um, the hay shed of a farmhouse. So they were widely used for that purpose. Was there a lot of courting done here? Well, there was, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, yes, I think there was, all right. A fair amount of... Did you ever do a spot of courting here yourself? <laughs> Not that I can remember, no. As things now stand, the people of Balnafad depend on the land, on employment in the shops or factories of surrounding towns, or to some extent on the lake. The land may have been unkind to some in the past, 
but the vast majority still depend exclusively on it. Farmer John McDonough. Well, the trouble with land in Ballinafad is that we just haven't got enough of it. We're situated here, as you probably well know, at the foot of the Corlews. Now, right along between the bottom of the hill and the lake, the land is all right, but there's not enough of it to go round and all the people that's in it. And when you go up to the back, well, you can forget about farming there. So there's only a small amount of land along by the foot of the hill that you can really talk about farming at all. And as I said before, the trouble is we haven't enough to go around on the amount of people that's still left, even though they're thinning out every day. It's more suitable, I would say, for uh, cattle, dairy cows mostly. Like, it's more suited to cattle. It's more suited to grazing than it is to anything else. The trouble is there's not enough of fertiliser being used on at the present time. And there again, I suppose, the economics of the whole thing comes into it. Nobody wants to put in too much money in if they're not going to get a good return back for it. And in this case, well, the costs are going up every day. So milk is the best paying job at the present time. How do you feel about the methods used? Well, I suppose you could say that they're pretty backward. But I suppose it takes uh, a long time for to bring it up. It's not very long ago, of course, since we got... Uh, electricity here and of course without electricity well there's not much you can do so therefore it takes a while to get used to it and water is a thing that's only after it's quite new in this place for to have a supply of water laid on to the farms about 80% I'd say now nearly have them laid on but without that there wasn't much you could do What is the average farm in this area John? Well I'd say the average farm in this area is about uh, 30 acres Do you consider that a viable no, 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 that's not a viable unit. No, you'd want nearly three times that. You'd want about 80 acres anyway now on the present standard for to bring up your income to what you would expect it to be and you'd still have to work very hard on it. Could you explain how this is so now? Well, I suppose the return from the amount of land they have is, um, well, it's too small. And if you haven't a lot, if you haven't up on 80 acres, well, it isn't just possible for to modernise the farm, put in milking machines and all the rest of the things that you want to put in for to uh, bring up your income. So that's the way I see it anyway. Well, I think that this lake has enormous potential, not alone as a fishing lake. It's definitely a very good fishing lake, there's no doubt about that. And the Department of Fisheries have done their bit, I think, but the local people have not. The anglers won't come if there isn't accommodation for them. The fish are here and there's no place for them to stay when they come. So who's going to come to a place where they can't, where they can't find accommodation? The local people have to do their bit for this lake. There's also enormous potential, I think, for water skiing, for pleasure cruising, for just about anything you do on water. And it has never been exploited or never been even tried on this lake. Hopes for developing tourism swing, or should we say float, on the lake. Loch Arrow is a big lake. For 20 years now, the inland fisheries have been working on it, taking out the pike and perch and stocking it with trout. Four local men are employed on a regular basis doing this work. It is a free fishery. This means that no one exercises control over the fishing rights and no licence is required to fish it. The inland fisheries say it is a reasonably good lake. 
limited returns record an annual catch of 2,000 trout and it is also a traditionally good mayfly lake. The Department of Fisheries say it could be a good eel fishery if long line fishing, which is popular on the lake, was restricted for some years. Eels are now amongst the most highly priced fish. There is general agreement that the lake could be developed into a very rich fishing ground. Some have already seen the potential. Seven years ago I had 17 cattle. I have an island like that, that's where all our people were born. And 17 years ago I sold the 17 ca- Seven years ago I sold the 17 cattle and I bought 17 new boats. And I hadn't the best in the world. I let the grass go idle. And in two years I put 10 more boats to the fleet and I restocked the land. So that's evidence that I was able to make a living out of it. Then, after that, I started with caravans. And I bought eight caravans. Uh, I counted up all I spent on Lockhart inside the last 10 years. I spent £12,000. Well, only if I made it on the lake, I wouldn't be able to spend that money. Because I got no money from anyone only if I gathered up that way. Well, last year, now I have 33 boats. And for one day, I had just enough. Well, that was that was the big day. That was the competition day. There was ninety-seven rods in that competition. Now this is my. Uh, that was six years for me to have that competition, and from ninety to hundred rods were in it each year. Now that competition, I can't give money prizes because a lot of that comes from England and North Ireland. That sportsmen they won't fish for money prizes according to the club. They have to fish for trophies or other prizes. So, I put up two cups in remembering the Henderson that invented the fly that called the John Henderson Memorial Trophies. And my father, he was his boatman, and that's why I put up those two cups, each May fishing. Well, then I gave dry fly lines, fly boxes, landing nets, fishing bags, reels, and so on, you know, for other prizes. Now, it costs about... £40 roughly, I'd say, with prizes along with the cups. It's a pound a year tender, but it's the biggest competition on Lacada. The area undoubtedly has tourist possibilities. It is scenic and the lake offers good angling. It is also on the main Sligo Dublin Road, with a constant passing trade. The owner of the Mayfly Inn recognises this. Well, I say the Mayfly Inn should be a wonderful place for, for tourists. You've got the lakes, you've got the one of the best trout fishing lake in the west of Ireland practically, which is situated in front of the Mayfly Inn. You also have got a terrible lot of beautiful scenery round Ballinafad, round Ballandoon, so forth. And you've also got a great passing by trade. I mean you're on the main Dublin Sligo Road. So there's no reason why you couldn't do a business, or should do a business, providing it's properly looked after and give the public uh, some incentive to come in and use the place. Another new development is the holiday home. The barracks has been converted as has a house in the village, Eddie Healy. It was my ambition to buy a place uh, in in this particular end of the the parish of uh, Balnefad and for quite a considerable time I was looking out for a place and eventually bought this place in the village uh, for two reasons. One was that uh, I was born in the parish, and secondly, that uh, 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 it would be a holiday home for me. And 
I was particularly anxious to go back to as often as possible, back to the place of my birth, which was, again, in the parish of Balnafad. And uh, I have continued to go there for weekends and uh, during my summer holidays. Do you think that there's a possibility of this becoming a trend in a village like Balnafad? Uh, well, it is possible, all right, but uh, I personally wouldn't uh, like to see... Uh, a village such as Balnafad uh, losing uh, the atmosphere that it had, uh, 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 the atmosphere that it has now, and uh, probably the atmosphere that it had many years ago. That uh, the, the, with with um, uh, an influx, we say, of uh, uh, people into the village who were. Uh, 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 working, we'd say, in city and towns to bring with them a lot of the atmosphere of the uh, city and town, which probably would uh, maybe detrimental to uh, the the uh, country life of a village such as Balnafad. But I, I personally wouldn't like to see a village such as Balnafad made a tourist resort. I, I, I think it takes completely away from the atmosphere of a village such as Balnafad. This is probably a minority view. Most people would welcome tourist development. But is the tourist potential fully exploited? Most of the tourists seem to pass through. On the way, take on the way from Boyle. Now, to here, there's one spot up there where the, all the beauty, the lake, the lake uh, just strikes you forcibly. You'll find any time you're passing there in the summer, any day in the summer, uh, you'll find somebody, some tourist, stopping there at that spot and taking photographs of this wonderful scene beneath them. But as for there's no place to stay for them to stay here, and I'm sure a lot of them would if they had guest houses here to stay in, or any place where they could be accommodated. I'd say if there was a hotel in Balnafad or a guest house to cater for the tourists, it would be great help to it. If they did start guest houses and uh, advertise, mine is the biggest fleet on the lake and the biggest fleet in Ireland, 33 both. Well, if they advertise the same as me, there could be at least two fleets more as big as mine on that lake if they'd advertise and bring the people into the country. But they won't. It has amenities, it has the lake, it has mountains, it has rivers. Um, it has just about anything. It has open space, places for football pitches, places for tennis courts, anything you would want to provide for the tourist. And to my mind, the amenities are there. It's There's just somebody needed to come in, or even uh, a co-op in the place, I think, could do it could develop the place. The place must be developed. Who's going to do it is another question. I'm certain somebody's going to do it in the next decade. It's obvious. It's going to... It's, the, the Europeans are not going to let it slip. It's too valuable, too beautiful a place. And somebody is going to put their finger on it and develop it. And no doubt the potential is there. But who's going to do it? I don't know. I just know that it is going to be done and the place is due for a turn of the wheel. So what does the future offer? The experts say that the small village is in decline 
our figures for Balnafad show an increase in population since 1961. There is an increase in the number of school children, but the school and the Garda barracks have closed. There are no local voluntary organisations functioning. There are 83 households in the area, but more than 60% of these are comprised of one or two persons. An air of apathy and quiet lies over the place. What future has the small village? What future has Balnafad? Are the people optimistic or pessimistic? Well, it's very hard to be optimistic on the statistics that uh, I've given you. Who knows? I'm afraid we'll have end up by foreigners coming in, more and more foreigners. We have quite a number of them in this district already and buying up all the, the whole place. Perhaps they'll make you a tourist centre of it or something like that. They'll reserve it as summer residences for themselves and their friends. But that's no good for the uh, few locals that be left, is it? Well, I don't see much hope for Balinafad. Um, to say that you're going to keep the amount of people that you already have here, I think that will drop farther. It is not possible for to keep even what's on it. Unless that you could get more industry in the towns that they'd travel in and out to it and uh, be part-time farmers as well, that you'd have more of that type in it. Well, strangely enough, I'm optimistic about the place. I see great potential in the place. It's unrivaled as a tourist centre if it were developed properly, or it could be unrivaled. There's scenery comparable to anything in Ireland. Well, I don't know, really. I hope it will always be the same. But... um population is small and I suppose it always will be small. I can't see any change, really. And an outsider's view, Kieran Coleman is a frequent visitor to the village. It's a very beautiful part of Ireland. Uh, it's perhaps the nicest part of the road from Dublin to Sligo. Uh, in summertime, anyway, it's particularly beautiful. However, I think after a few hours there one becomes a little bit lonely. Uh, I think you could, could become very sad. Uh, the very many old people there. There are very few young children. There is no school in the place. And the only sign of life in the village is perhaps on Sunday morning at Mass. So, you know, having recognised the beauty of the place and you look at the human side of it, there is very little in Ballinafad for the people. Certainly for young people, there's nothing. So that it's, it's, you know, to a visitor, it's a dying parish. So the future is viewed with pessimism, laced with a dash of optimism. Villages like Balnafad will not be deserted. They will not die suddenly. The present decline will continue, if it is not checked. And the present trend is towards decline, because despite an increase at the last census, the young the life sap of the district, have to leave to get a job. So unless some revivifying force can be injected into the community, the impetus of decline will continue unchecked. Muinter Natira was founded to combat the flight from the land and to make the countryside more attractive to the young. Canon Hayes, the founder of Muinter Natira, believed in the parish unit 
and built his organization on it. And there have been those who have advocated decentralization and rural renewal. Modern sociological thinking is that the problem should be attacked on a regional basis. They advocate rural centrality, the development of rural and economic centres on a planned basis. People would continue to live in the countryside and surrounding towns, commuting to the central town for work and possibly entertainment. An English sociologist has developed a point system for determining rural centres. This was adapted by Dr Newman in the Limerick Rural Survey to suit Irish conditions. Translating rural centralism to Balnafad would mean the development of one of the surrounding towns and the village becoming a satellite of such a town. But there are those who point a finger for past neglect. Local parish priest, Father Kilroy. Well, I point a finger at our successive governments who have done nothing. The only thing they have done is to give this dole. The old-style village is gone, the tightly-knit, self-contained unit. But the village will remain as a compromise between town and country, and there will always be memories. No more the farmer's news, the barber's tale. No more the woodman's ballad shall prevail. No more the smith his dusky brow shall clear, relax his ponderous strength, and lean to hear the host himself no longer shall be found. Careful to see the mantling bliss go round. Nor the coy maid, half willing to be pressed, shall kiss the cup to pass it to the rest. <laughs> 